With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, this is Deep Cypher, and before we get on to this week's episode of From Complex to Queens, I just want to add a little disclaimer that we recorded the show before uh, Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson were traded for Marcus Stroman. The trade actually went down as we were closing out the show, so this week's episode is not going to reflect anything regarding that trade. Hey everybody, welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I am Steve Seiper, and I'm joined this week by Lucas and Kenny. How are you guys doing? Yeah, pretty good. I, I almost got hardcore cabbaged, so I'm uh, feeling pretty good because I didn't. It's always good not to get cabbaged. Should I, do, do people know what cabbaging is? Should I explain that or no? Honestly, I'm not fully sure even myself, so. Uh, so cabbaging basically means when you've uh, written up the recap as the game is about to end and then the result suddenly changes, which uh, the Mets do a lot and usually not in a good way. Uh, so they obviously almost blew that six-run lead. I almost got cabbaged. Wow, that would have sucked, a six-run lead. Oof. My cabbages! <laughs> All right, well, I guess on a more positive note today is actually the anniversary of the uh creek mine rescue a couple of years ago in 2002 when nine coal miners were rescued in pennsylvania after the mine collapsed and they were trapped down there for like five days 
So back in the day, Pennsylvania was, you know, one of the leading steel producers and, and coal exporters and all that kind of stuff. And they also produced a couple of pretty good baseball players. So of these three famous Pennsylvanians, who would you promote, who would you extend, and who would you trade? First off, we have, hailing from Pittsburgh, is the Flying Dutchman, Honest Wagner. Next, we have from Denora, which is a suburb outside of Pittsburgh, Stan the Man Musial. And last but not least is the Pride of Factoryville, Christy Matheson. So who of those three Hall of Fame Pennsylvanians would you extend, who would you promote, and who would you trade? And that is a tough one, because obviously they're all Hall of Famers. Our lobby ownership to extend them all. Oh, wait, (laughs) it's the Mets. Can't do that. Trade them all for middle relievers. Uh, Uh, You can go ahead, Ken. I got a thing there. The only one I'm positive about is I think I'm going to extend Christy Mathewson because looking at, like, early 1900s numbers for pitchers is just always wild. Mm -hmm. It's like... 300, uh, looking at his, his famous, I think 1903 was the season he threw like three shutouts in the, the World Series. I should probably look that up before I make the rest of this point. I think the first World Series is in 06. Okay, that but... might have been it then. Well, in 1903, he threw 366.1 innings. <laughs> uh, Not bad. 2.26 ERA ball, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> That'll play. Yeah, and then the other two are, are pretty close in terms of value, I guess. Um, so I don't really have a strong opinion one or the other. I'd probably go Musial because um, you know, he was a little later outside the dead ball era. So I don't know. His numbers might translate a little better, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's the one that I extended, Stan the Man. Yeah, that, I, I was going to agree with that. Yeah, that might be the right choice. <laughs> Chrissy Matheson is getting promoted by me, and then we're going to trade Honest Wagner. Yeah, because anything that happened before, like, 1930 doesn't count, unless right. you're a pitcher throwing almost 400 innings. <laughs> uh, I did the opposite, actually. I, I, I uh, traded Matheson and... Uh... Uh, promoted Wagner just because of my preference for, for hitters yeah. over pitchers. Um, Does uh, I mean, tint step apply were... in 1905? You know, That's a good question, right? Well, because you know, no one as close as. Actually, as... you could make an argument that he was the first tint step because Onus Wagner died in World War One in a really weird way. <laughs> How did he? Um, so, like, they didn't have, like, re- particularly good gas masks. And he was on the, um, let me see, let me, Matthewson. He was on like whatever the responsible for that was in World War One, and died of some weird lung infection related to that. Well, that sucks. I never knew I that. I think. Or got sick because of it? I don't know, this is fascinating radio, I'm sure. Uh-huh. Excellent content. Yes. Alright, well. Uh, I, I think Musio yeah. has to be the obvious choice just because, like, his stats yeah, are agree. the most translatable. But. Yeah. Yep. 
I think he also has the That's strongest. Fair. I mean, not that it really matters. You know, it's one of those intangible things, I guess, but he has one of the strongest connections, I guess, to the New York, New Jersey, tri-state area, whatever, because, you know, he will, he always killed the, the Brooklyn Dodgers and he kind of got their begrudging respect, which back in the day when, you know, ball players were ball players and fans were fans was hard to do, so. Right. The New York media, I guess, would the, the current New York media would appreciate him, I guess. Which, Thanks as we know, uh, you know, having the media on your side is a pretty good thing here. So you're telling me he wouldn't? He would always do post game interviews. That's, yes, uh, yeah, he would be right. one of them. One of those guys. Can I uh, do a correction on how Christy Matthewson died? <laughs> sure, go ahead. So apparently. It wasn't that they didn't have good, like, gas, you know, protection. It was that he was accidentally gassed, like, friendly fire. Oh, And got tuberculosis, which ended his career, but he managed to live, like, another seven years after. Oh, delightful. So, still, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. <laughs> Especially with tuberculosis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I guess, the Syracuse Mets went three and three. And they are now 53 and 52 on the year, but they're seven games behind the Scranton, Scranton Wilkesbury Rare Riders for first in the International League North. And even though they went three and three, they have a net game of nothing as compared to last week. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies went six and two, and they are now 20 and 19 in the second half, which catapulted them to just three games behind the Reading Fighting Phils for first in the Eastern League Eastern Division. St. Lucie Mets went five and two this week. And they are 24 and 14 in the second half, which is just three and a half games now behind the Charlotte Stone Crabs for first in the Florida State League South. The Columbia group, uh, the Columbia Fireflies, they went one and five, and they are 15 and 21 in the second half, which is five games behind the Augusta Green Jackets for first in the South Atlantic League Southern Division. Brooklyn went, the Brooklyn Cyclones went four and two, and they are 24 and 16 which is tied for first place in the New York Penn League McNamara division, along with the Aberdeen Ironbirds. Kingsport Mets went 3-3, three and three, and they had a rain-postponed game, and they are 17-20 and 20 on the year, which is three games behind the Elizabethan Twins and the Johnson City Cardinals, both of whom are tied for first. And the GCL Mets are currently 16-11 and 11 on the season. That brings us to our hitter of the week. And that individual is Aresmendi Alcantara. He had uh, he had a batting line of 333, 400, 722 in six games this week, with two triples and a home run, and a 417 bat pip. So that'll help out. Uh, Alcantara has been around for a while. He was signed um, as a 17-year-old out of the Dominican Republic in 2008. And he was solid in his first couple of years in the Cubs system. And then he really burst onto the scene in 2012 when he hit 302, 339, 447 with the Daytona Cubs, which is their high A affiliate. And then he was promoted to double A the next year and he hit an equally impressive 271, 352, 451 in 133 games for the Tennessee Smokies, which is their, like I said, double A affiliate. Um, his performance 
put him, you know, on the back end of most national prospect lists around that time and near the top of most Cubs prospect lists. And he started the 2014 season with the Iowa Cubs, their AAA affiliate. And he hit 307, 353, 537 in 89 games, hitting 10 home runs and stealing 21 bases. And then in July, he was promoted to the majors. And he played out the rest of the season, rest of the 2014 season with the Cubs. And he hit an underwhelming 205, 254, 367 in 70 games. And his initial experience in the majors left, left uh, a pretty lasting impression on him. Um, he started the season with the Cubs in 2015 again, but he sent down after just a handful of games. And he hit just 231, 285, 399 in, in AAA. Then he started the 2016 again in AAA. And his batting line improved a little bit to 263, 313, 434. And the Cubs basically cashed in on what little they had, and they traded him to Oakland in exchange for Chris Coughlin. And Alcantara was sent to the Nashville Sounds, which is Oakland's AAA affiliate. He hit decently, um, basically 290, 336, 480, in between a couple of call-ups to Oakland and then a rehab assignment to uh, their high-A affiliate. In 20, after the 2016 season ended, the Cincinnati Reds claimed him off of waivers, and he spent most of the 2017 season on their major league team, but nothing really changed. He was basically a backup infielder or defensive replacement, you know, pinch hitter slash pinch runner, and he hit just 171, 187, 248 in 105 at bats. And then he became free agent at the end of the year and went and signed in America. So he spent the 2018 season bouncing around all over the place. Um, he had he, he spent time with the Guerreros de Oaxaca, the Diablos Rojos de Mexico, the Toros de Tijuana, and then when the Mexican League season ended in you know September October, then he played for the Navegantes de Magallanes in the Venezuelan League, and then the Tigres de Lice in the Dominican Winter League. So all in all, he did decently, um, in the, in the Caribbean, in the Mexican and Caribbean leagues. He hit 278, 345, 512 for all five of those teams combined. And he impressed the Mets scouts enough to tender him a minor league contract. And he started in Binghamton. He hit decently. He hit 363, uh, 263, 342, 394 in 27 games in Binghamton. And then he's promoted to Syracuse in late May. And through 58 games there, he is hitting 301, 374, 543. Basically, what I did him was his free swinging ways. Um, as a minor leaguer, you know, in the early days, he was able to draw enough walks to kind of get on base at a decent rate and augment the strikeouts. But when he was called up to the major leagues, he just kind of got beat by all the off-speed stuff, and that got in his head, and he started swinging defensively against everything, including fastballs, and just striking out way, way, way too much. Um, I'm not really really sure if that has changed particularly much, or if just the kind of, you know, second exposure to organized baseball after his time in, in the Caribbean is kind of 
making him look good now, but if he was sent back up, he would kind of have the same problems. I, I vaguely remember back in the days when everyone assumed the Cubs and Mets would eventually make a trade, uh, that he was one of the guys they were consistently connected to. It's like, oh, well, you're never going to get Russell or Baez, but you might get Alcantara. Right, he was always kind of seen as like a second string yeah, guys. And, it, and the answer was always, yeah, I'm not moving Noah Syndergaard or anyone else for <laughs> Mendy Alcantara, thank you. Yeah, He's, real glad they didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, that would not have worked out well. He's only 27, so, you know, there might be a little bit more left in the tank, but basically the same problem that every kind of fringy uh, infielder in in Syracuse has is that there's just really no playing time for them. Mm. And Alcantara kind of has experience this year in the outfield, but same thing, that the major league team has enough versatility and guys on the bench that there really won't be much playing time for him. Yeah, I, mean, I could see him getting like a September call up or something. Whatever. Yeah, um, one thing that he does bring with him that the team doesn't have is speed. Yeah. He still has, he's still a good runner. He's still stealing a lot of bases. And you know, that, you know, it's the dynamic that the Mets don't have on the, on the 25 man roster. Ahmed Rosario has speed, but no one else. And Champ Stewart isn't around anymore, so he can't no. him up. Yeah, he'd be a good guy to have. Have him on the bench in that sort of like Eric Young Jr. role where mm-hmm. you hope he never has to hit, but you know, you could bring him into a close game late. He's doing decently this year. He's only 27. Maybe the Mets tender him another contract and he sticks around and maybe yeah. the dynamics change next year. Yeah. All right. Well, now we'll move on to our pitch of the week and, um, this week it is Tommy Wilson and this is his second pitcher of the week. Award. Uh, he pitched in two games this week, two starts, and he threw 13 innings, allowing just one run, and scattering six hits while walking none and striking out 11. So, given the reputation that Brooklyn has and the fact that Tommy Wilson, you know, he wasn't really a big-time prospect, <laughs> we'll put it nicely like that. It was pretty easy to kind of discount the success that he had last year. He was a 22-year-old college kid. He posted a 1-2-3 ERA in a couple of innings with Brooklyn. You know, nothing really to get excited about. This year, um, you know, he would have been promoted to to A-ball somewhere, either Columbia or St. Lucie. That would have been the test. And with August here now, pretty much, and the season only having, you know, about a month left or so, Wilson has passed the test. Um, he started the season with St. Lucie. And he was really good in his time there. He posted a 2.01 ERA in 44.2 innings over eight starts. His strikeout rate dropped a little bit as compared to his time at Cal State Fulton and Brooklyn. But he was still posting a 7.3 strikeout per nine, and that's still acceptable. And most of his ERA success was because even though he's a kind of fly ball pitcher, he was keeping the ball in the ballpark. He allowed just one home run in those 44.2 innings. And then in May, he was promoted to Binghamton, and the numbers on the surface aren't as shiny because he had a couple of starts where he was being victimized by the long ball. Um, in his first four starts, he allowed eight home runs, and that jacked his ERA up to 4.86. But since then, he has a 3.14 ERA, 
over the next five games, and that's just, that'll work. And with his combination of decent stuff and the results that he's been getting, there's a strong possibility that he gets called up to the majors. Probably not this season, but in the near future, I think. Um, he's primarily been used as a starter, but I think if he was called up, he'd probably be used out of the bullpen. His fastball would uh, reach the upper upper levels of his velocity band, which is about 88 to 94. And he has two pitches, a slider and a changeup. And, you know, he'd be able to just kind of focus on that slider, occasionally throw that changeup, and he'd be, you know, another middle reliever fastball, cha- uh, uh, fastball slider guy that the Mets have. And the funk in his delivery would probably um, be exposed to fewer batters as a reliever, which would probably let him maintain the deception that it gives him for a little bit longer. And if he is called up at some point in the near future, an interesting little tidbit here, he'd be the first 19th round draft election in Mets history to be promoted to the major league Um in the 50-year-plus that the Mets have been around, they've drafted a couple of players in the 19th round that made it to the big leagues, but they all played for different teams. Um, so Wilson would be the first, which is a kind of interesting little, you know, historical tidbit. That's that's kind of cool, actually. So uh, I, I need to preface this by saying I don't think he's anywhere near this good or or going to wind up like this. But the profile doesn't strike me as super dissimilar from a guy like Shane Bieber, honestly. Right? Like, Bieber was obviously better, like I said, like, before. Mm-hmm. Bieber's a fourth-round pick. But still, like, not a super-heralded college guy. Uh, doesn't have, like, stuff that just blows you away right off the bat. Really only has two pitches. But just has super, super good control. Um, and makes it work. And, and, like, there's no, Bieber is the 99.9 percentile outcome of that profile, but it's interesting. I wonder if there's, like, a systematic devaluation of, of this kind of mature college pitcher with two pitches, but advanced control that, that gets overlooked a little bit. I mean, it's, I would say that it's difficult, obviously, to become a major league player, but mm-hmm. the bar to becoming a faceless generic middle reliever for a team for however amount of time isn't that difficult, if that makes sense. Yeah. No? Like, that yeah, has definitely the highest attrition rate. There's, like, five unique versions of that generic up-and-down guy, like, right. for each team every year, you know? Right, exactly. So, I mean, I, I would find it highly hard to believe that Wilson would become an ace pitcher. You know, the odds of that are... are 0.00001 to the, you know, hundredth power, but there's, there's a path for him. And, you know, lots of guys with unspectacular stuff and just kind of decent to okay results in the minors have gone that path before. And I think that, you know, he can, he can do the same thing. Lord knows we need, uh, upper minors pitching depth. So even if he's just that, it's, uh, useful. Yeah. And of course, he is Biff's son, so. Yeah, I was the, gonna say. Uh, yeah. The PR will uh, be, the PR will be good for the Mets. Back to the most, future night, Marty McFly night. You now the Wilpons love that. I <laughs> feel like together, we do so. have to mention that. 
Yeah, I feel like we have to mention that every time he's mentioned. That's mm-hmm. the uh, Kirk Newenheis played football of this year. Stephen Mass is from Long Island, guys. I know. Uh, wow. I'm pretty sure Tom, Todd Frazier's from Tom's River. <laughs> I can confirm, yes. We know it all, folks. <laughs> all right, well, we will be back after this with some not as uh, happy, I guess, discussion. We'll be back after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back. I'm Steve Saipa. I'm joined by Ken and Lucas. And basically, you'd have to be living under a rock the last couple of days to not have heard the fact that the Mets are shopping Noah Syndergaard. Some sources say that the Mets are just kind of dangling him and they're not going to pull the trigger unless they're absolutely wowed. And then other sources are saying it's a foregone conclusion that he's on another team when the trading deadline passes. Truth, obviously somewhere in between, but given what we know, given how the Mets have a history of running certain kind of players out of town that open their mouths a bit too much and give too many uh, unapproved sound bites, I'd say the odds of the Mets trading him are like 65 to 35, a little bit more than 50%. Um, for the season, he has a 4.33 ERA and 126.2, and for his career, he has a 3.21 ERA and 645 innings. Um, would you guys both agree that if they traded Syndergaard, they'd basically be getting pennies on the dollar? Maybe not pennies, but they'd be giving up. They'd be giving whatever team gets them a discount, basically because of their own foolishness in terms of like in-game pitching strategy or whatever you'd want to call it. Like, Almost yes. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the simple answer is yes. Yeah, he's, he's throwing like his sinker less and throwing more fastballs, throwing less change-ups. His slider isn't like the same Warthin slider. It's more like a, a traditional kind of slider, slower, wider. Now, he's just not pitching like the Noah Syndergaard of 2015, 2016, you know, when he basically burst onto the scene and dominated the nation. But it's not like he can't do that again. You know, he's just coming to his prime now. The pure stuff is still nasty. He's not like a ticking time bomb in terms of injury risk or anything. It's just that the surface numbers don't reflect that top of the rotation frontline starter stuff that we all know he really is. And it sucks that if they do trade him, A, the market is kind of wackadoo as compared to a couple of years ago, and B, they would be trading him 
when his value is depressed. I mean, it, it's... I don't understand. Here's an even more... Like, we can go even further back. Why would you fire Dan Worthen in the first place when your elite pitchers like working with him? Why Then, if you're going to fire Dan Worthen, why would you not understand the things he did well and try to carry that into your next pitching coach? The part that annoys me the most is it's like... He's still a darling on a by DRA. <laughs> like DRA sees him as one of the 25 best pitchers in baseball, uh, and probably mostly because the Mets infield defense, which I get, you know, either aren't aware it's legitimately terrible, or you know, don't care or don't think it's important. I feel like that's most of the reason why his his numbers are what they are. Well, I'm going to make make a bad joke here. I think Brody forgot about Dre. Oof. Oof. It just popped into my head. I'm demented. I don't know. I appreciated it. (laughs) All right. So basically... Syndergaard would pretty much fit on any team, but the rumors have kind of been pointing to certain teams as the best fits or the strongest suitors. The Astros, the Braves, the Dodgers, the Padres, Tampa Bay Bay Rays, Minnesota Twins, and the Yankees. We've also heard some reports about really wacky things about how they're going to trade Syndergaard for a haul and then use that prospect hall to then trade for guys like Marcus Stroman or Robbie Ray or Mike Miner. I don't know about that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to pretend that I've never heard any of that and it's not happening. And we're just yeah, it's hard look- to, it's, it's hard to parse the logic on something that's completely illogical. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're going to forget that that is even a remote possibility in some executive or scouts brain. And we're just going to look at your, you know, prospects or players on those teams and what packages it would take for all of us to trade Syndergaard if Fred and Jeff had guns to our heads and we absolutely had to trade him because I think we all don't want to trade him. We all agree it's dumb. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, who wants to start? Let's look at the Astros first. What package would you want from the Astros? to trade Syndergaard for? I don't know that the Astros have a package I would take. I that agree. isn't just um, so wacky. Do you want to discuss the package that uh, we think that they might? <laughs> right, well, that's what, that's what I mean. Like, who, would, might. who would it take for you to say yes? Let's go ahead. I mean, for me, it would probably be Jordan Alvarez. Yep. It would probably be end of list. <laughs> I would want, like, Irden Alvarez and, I mean, I know Whitley's kind of borked right now, but I'd still gamble on that. Or Josh James. I don't know who I'd prefer. Um, I've always liked Seth Beer, um, just as, like, a guy who all he's done in his collegiate and pro career is hit. But very Mets. Very Mets. <laughs> I mean, How much you want to bet if they traded for Seth Beer, he'd play right field constantly? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Probably. I mean, the short the short answer is that they need to give up Jordan Alvarez for this for us to be happy. They won't <laughs> give up Jordan Alvarez. They might not even give up Kyle Tucker, who we don't want, and then there's nothing left. 
Yeah. Right. Um, I don't particularly see how they're a good fit. I mean, they have a big lead in the AL West. They have a solid rotation. They have guys that are going to be around for a while. And they're a team that, you know, they, they have a decently high payroll and they have like $30 million or so coming off the books. So they plug those holes that the main league Eric Cole by resigning him. So they don't need Syndergaard and, you know, you won't be able to price gouge them as a result. You know, I have, I have a, a fundamental question here, right? If Kyle Tucker is worthwhile, why as the Astros, when you know you have to pay, uh, uh, start paying your core, right? They, have they extended Correa already? Whatever, right? You have to extend, uh, uh, Cole. You're gonna have to re-up with Verlander. You don't have much pitching. If Kyle Tucker is worthwhile, why do you sign Michael Brinley? Like, uh, that to me how is like is a, a brand new deal. Three years. Three years. So he would like, have two more after this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, and I really like Michael Brantley. He's a good player. But if you're if you're the Astros and you're entering this stage where you're probably going to be cash strapped and you have this top prospect that you've refused to move, why do you block him? That screen. Well, there there are other spots that he. Could potentially play, like haven't they haven't hasn't haven't they been talking about him as like their first baseman of the the future? But they've got Gurriel. They have Alvarez. I mean, I guess perhaps they didn't expect this kind of breakout from Alvarez. My 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 point really is that it seems like Tucker is touted as this elite prospect, and the team he's on, which is arguably the smartest team in baseball, hasn't shown full faith in him. That's a good point. Which yeah. worries me. And it's not like he, he, you know, in the big league time that he's gotten has, you know, put uh, everything, you know, has, has put these doubts in anyone's, mm-hmm. you know, to bad or anything. And he's been really it's, bad. <laughs> it's not, and, and to be, he's not even a good fit for the Mets either, right? We already have too many corner outfielders, no center fielder, and first base is occupied, so... Probably better be a real good bat for it to matter, and like Jordan Alvarez's bat. I don't think Kyle Tucker's that. All right, well, goodbye Astros. Next up are the Braves, and they have a slightly the NL East. Obviously, acquiring Syndergaard would make them better and give them a major boost, and it would immediately take the Mets out of any kind of run. Um, who, what, what would a package from Atlanta for you guys, what would a package that you would trade Syndergaard look like? So I've been thinking about this one a lot because I think on paper it might make the most sense. Um, so I think we can, we can all agree that Ian Anderson would probably be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit about Anderson. He's a, a tall right-handed pitcher. He's got, um, Three pitches that are at least above average. Sounds about right, right? Yep, yep. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, he's probably one of the better pitchers out of that, you know, young group of pitchers that Atlanta's been kind of hoarding for a while. I, so I 100% agree. If they're insistent on, you know, bringing in a pitcher, you know, as part of any 
you know, center guard trade. Um, he's probably my choice of who, who, who it would be if I, you know, it would be like him, Dustin May, who I, I assume we'll talk about, you know. I assume Dustin May doesn't happen. Same with. Like, yeah, that's basically. Yeah. All of the, the guys in the, the next stage up, I, I think are probably like untouchable or yeah. guys who we wouldn't be able, you, you probably couldn't count on being able to be moved. So, um, that, that's why I say I think he's probably like the top guy you would realistically get. Um, after him, it would really have to be for me either Pash or Waters as the second piece, uh, one of the tools the outfielders that the Braves have. Yep, I agree. And uh, I think you you talked about this a little bit in Slack. Is um, do you have a preference between the two? I'm really torn, uh, because I've been a. All right, let me ask now: Is it Pash or Pache? Or I never. I always thought it was Pache. I think it's Pash because there's no accent mark over okay. the E, right. but I don't know. Alright, I'll go with Pash, right? I, I've been a Pash detractor for a while because to my extremely untrained eye, his swing, swing has always been hideous and he's also never hit. So it's like, yeah, he's got these great tools. Like, okay, cool. Can he hit at even like a 20% below average level? And now all of a sudden he's hitting and, and that's extremely intriguing. Um, Waters is probably safer. Pache has more upside. Both of them are like pretty similar in terms of their where they are on their development timelines. Gun to my head, I'd probably take Pache because I dream dream on the upside, right? But I, I I'd be happy with either. Now I think what is probably the case is that the Braves would just tell you to get bent with Pache. Um but that you might be able to pry away Anderson and Waters. In which case, that might be the most compelling package you get from anyone. Which is not yeah. a particularly exciting return for Syndergaard. Yeah, I mean, I like both of them. I like both of them quite a bit. Um, but, like, you should be I getting mean, more than that. Yeah, realistically, you're getting a pitcher who's not going to be as good as Noah Syndergaard. And, like, is a, a position year away player... From the majors. Yeah, and a position player who has significant risk ba- risk baked into his profile. Like, mm-hmm. if he can't hit, what is he? He's, you know, I think, was it, it was Jeff or Jared who called him Fancy Dog Ligaris? I forget, in Slack. Yeah. Um, that's essentially what he is, <laughs> if he can't hit. Like a really See, good defender, but, you know. I was looking, obviously I would like Anderson in return as well. And I, I'm not particularly enthused with Pash or Waters either. And I was looking at their roster and it kind of like was right in my face. There's just two guys that I think are very high upside guys that the Braves just don't really do anything with that I would want back in return with Anderson. And that'd be Newcomb and Toussaint. Should, we should two... have known this is where you were going. <laughs> like... <laughs> and they're, they basically, Toussaint just kind of being bumped up and down. Uh, is in the bullpen. Newcomb, they had him as a starter, you know, last year or two, and they're using him in the bullpen now. I think he was, he got hurt, and then they kind of just put him in the bullpen and they left him there. But I don't think either one of those guys have, like, Syndergaard upside. But, I mean, at their peak, those are two solid mid-rotation guys. And I think the Mets are at least 
historically anyway equipped to help them with their you know basically they're both two guys that have control and the Mets have been very good at working with players and getting them to you know repeat the delivery well and can command their pitches and, and have excellent control and I think the Mets could work with those two guys to kind of get the most out of them and I don't think that either one of them are so integral to the Braves that the Braves would be like oh no they're untouchable I I have to disagree. Like I've never liked Newcomb, so I can't get on board yeah, with that. Mm-hmm. I don't think Newcomb is good. I think his I think his minor league numbers are, are inflated, and like even now that it seems like he has some control, the strikeouts aren't as high. So I just and this is in relief. I'm just not impressed with Newcomb. Toussaint, I'll take just because I think his stuff is is so insane and also fun. Uh, I'd, I'd gamble on him. I would not yeah. want them as like the headliner. Yeah, no, I, I would want Toussaint would be like a throw-in. Yeah, yeah, in addition, like in addition to a third, uh, yeah, Anderson, and then I would still probably want one of the outfielders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you'd probably mm-hmm. actually get is like maybe Anderson, Toussaint, and some low-level guy. And that, when the Braves have lots of interesting low-level guys for sure, but. Getting three of the names we're talking about here almost certainly doesn't happen. No. All right, next we will move on to the Dodgers. And the Dodgers have been connected, but they're a good team. They're doing good in the standings. They have a strong pitching staff already. So I don't really see the pressing need for, you know, to add Syndergaard. And as a result, you know, it'll be harder to get those real good prospects. It seems like we haven't heard a whole lot in terms of rumors with them like it seems like we every so often we get an update about this x team is is talking about whoever with the mets and i don't think we've heard anything from the dodgers mm-hmm. which personally i think will smith is the most attractive guy there agreed i mean he fits he's a good good prospect and obviously would fit a need that the mets need but then after that you know i, I think the system just kind of Peters off very quickly. Unfortunately, they just made Smith their starting catcher, so I'm not even sure they moved. Yeah, him. right. Uh, like a day I or think three ago. The the best we could dream of from the Dodgers, for me at least, would probably be Dustin May and Gavin Lux or Kevin Lux. Uh, um, and both are interesting. <laughs> I don't think the Dodgers give up May. At least I'm skeptical they give out they give up uh, Lux either. So. I I would like bet a significant amount of money that they move neither of them. Yeah, no. Um, oh, yeah, realistically, I think the best prospect you'd get out of them is Kybert Ruiz, who yeah. has taken a step back yeah. this year. And I don't would not want to gamble. Catching prospects are weird. He was super hyped coming into this season, but I would not want to gamble basically the entire value of the return on a catcher prospect who seems to have gone backwards. Yeah, it's just not – it doesn't seem like a good fit. I don't know where the rumors have started that they are, but in my uneducated opinion, I don't really see it. All right, well, um, let's take a quick break, and then we'll go over the next three teams, the Padres – well, the next couple of teams, I should say, the Padres, the Rays, Twins, and Yankees. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, welcome back. This is from Complex to Queens, and we are just taking a look at potential landing spots for Noah Syndergaard if he is traded and the kind of returns the Mets, you'd, we'd, we'd want to see the Mets get back. So next up are the Padres, and they're similar. I, I think that they're similar to the Dodgers, but in the opposite way. The Padres are just really bad, and there's no real need to push to get Syndergaard immediately. So as a result, I think, you know, it'll be harder to get their best prospects. Patino, I think, is the most attractive guy um, that they'd probably be willing to give up. I have a real hard time getting on board with super short pitching prospects. Yeah. In, in he, A-ball. He's six. Six foot, yeah. Is it Wait, is it him or Debbie that's super short? One of them Both. is like... <laughs> <laughs> right, but they're both short. One of them is like super that's, short. Let's see. Uh, I know De- Debbie Garcia's is like five eight, I think. Okay, so Debbie uh, is super Patino, short. Patino's six foot, yeah. Okay, so Patino's six foot. That's still tiny, and he's in a ball, and I, I, I don't, I, 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 I'd be happy to get Patino, but I'd want more than that, honestly. Yeah. And Gore is obviously the best pitching prospect, and I just don't see them parting with him for anything, including the Syndicate. Um He's knocking I, on the doorsteps of majors. They could use him next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a lot of, like, whatever arms to throw in, like, or mid-tier-ish arms. Uh, I imagine the Mets probably would go gaga over Logan Allen because, hey, we've got a cost-controlled starter that's already in the majors, guys. Or, like, Eric Lauer. Um Ooh. More John, more, more John, I said the joke name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That turned, that started as a Game of Thrones jokes with, with my friends. Was, never mind. I'm not going to get into that. Morahan is like another mid-tier starter that, like, where's the upside in that package? I don't, I don't see it. Very limited. Uh, and then, yeah. You could ask for Urias, and that's an interesting scenario. I think, yeah, I, I think he's the the most interesting out of all of them, um, mostly because of the power spike this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's another guy like Tucker who yeah, exactly. has played a little bit in the big leagues and has looked real bad. He's played in the big leagues, um, looked bad, and a smart – or I'm not going to say that the Padres are as smart as the Astros, but a smart organization chose to play the uh, mummified remains of Ian Kinsler at second base for half a season instead of Urias. Yeah, so, it doesn't really show a lot of confidence in him there. Um, 
Plus, the Mets would have to play him at short, where his arm is probably too little. And then you're probably putting uh, Rosario in center, so you're you're really stretching for an imperfect fit if if that's your your headliner for Syndergaard. I would also be interested in the just last bit on the Padres. They have mm-hmm. catchers I'd be interested in. I know I know Francisco Mejia has looked awful, but he was a top fifteen ish prospect very recently. I'd be really interested in getting him as like the second piece in the deal. Um and I think that would fit the Mets needs well. I think he would benefit from getting full playing time rather than sharing time with Austin Hedges uh or some other catcher. Um but like we said, the, the headliner pieces from the Padres are difficult. Mm-hmm. Alright, well next up are the Rays, and I think that they are a very good fit. Yes. Um obviously they're a cheap team with not a very high payroll, so you know, they're not going to be going out and, and acquiring any aces over the offseason. And they're really in the thick of it right now in the AL wild card. So, especially now that half their rotation is, like, injured and the team could kind of theoretically go into a free fall and go from contenders to, to nobodies. So, for them, I think they're a good matchup, especially right now. And I would like to see the Mets, you know, gouge them. But it's a mismatch of... um front office brains, uh, if you want to put it. That, that's a very nice way to put it. <laughs> I mean, yep. uh, Brendan McKay is the headline, uh, the marquee prospect that they have, and I don't know, I don't really like him too much. Okay. Well, I should say Wander Franco is, but I don't see them parting for him, trading him. So the next would be McKay, and I just don't see him really as being... He's just, like, not exciting, you know? Yeah. He's like a mid-rotation pitcher. Um, He's a mid-rotation pitcher who could put up, like, an 85-weighted. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's like, cool. I do, <laughs> I, 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 I do think it would be really funny, though, if the Mets traded for him, said they were, you know, excited to bring in a two-way talent, and then he gets hit out-hit by DeGrom next year. I think that would be amazing. Also... Where do you play him if you're the I mean, best? you can't. <laughs> There's nowhere to play him. You, <laughs> you, can, you can't put him at first because you have Alonzo and you don't have a D. Well, the DH might be coming to the NL sooner rather than later. But but <laughs> what are you doing? They'll figure out a way. I mean, if there was if there was a headliner aside from 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 McKay, who would you want? Uh, I mean, I like Liberatore, but he's just so young. Right. So far away. Honestly, I feel like we're from Tampa Bay in a, in an ideal world, I guess, where, you know, the Rays don't take advantage of the Mets. <laughs> I'd want just a kind of, like, bunch of different prospects. Like, they would be a team where I would be okay with not getting back a super high name headliner. And I'd be okay with getting back a bunch of different mid kind of level guys. And I definitely want McClanahan and Tanner Dodson since the Mets drafted both of them and neither mm-hmm. one of them signed. So, you know, they're back. It uh, worked well, out very well with Carlos Cortez. So it'll definitely work out with those uh-huh, guys. Uh-huh. Hey, uh, Tanner Dodson was a, a fun novelty when he was at Cal. He was mediocre on the mound and uh, mediocre in center field. It was, it was fun. 
No, you can get him and McKay, and then you'd have to, uh... Mediocre two players, great, fun. Yep. <laughs> I do find it interesting that the Razor stockpile, seem to be like stockpiling those guys, but, but I don't know what to make of it, nor do I particularly want the Mets to acquire those guys and try to duplicate some cutting edge as the Rays simultaneously divest themselves from it. <laughs> that would be the Mets way to do it. <laughs> yes, yes, big brain ideas. Couple of years too late. Alright, next up are the Twins. They're another team that I think match up very well. Twins are like a super offense-oriented team, but the pitching staff is kind of flimsy, and we've seen in the playoffs, you know, a team that has a really strong one-two-three punch, you know, they'll they'll get you to the World Series. Literally, you know, Syndergaard literally did, did do that for the Mets in 2015, and he would, you know, he'd supplement uh, Berrios and Odorizzi on that team. Very nice. And they're already in first place, but you know, that they'll need to fight off the rest of the AL Central, and the addition of Syndergaard would obviously let them do that. But they're another team where, like, their marquee guys, I don't think, are really all that exciting. I mean, Royce Lewis and Kirillyoff are, like, their number one and two guys, and, eh. I liked Kirillyoff a couple of years ago, like, during the draft. I wish the Mets would have picked him, but stuff has happened since then, obviously. Yeah. What's the, what's another guy who just doesn't fit? Like, he's already seeing a lot of time at first base. If he's an outfielder, he's a bad corner outfielder. <laughs> where, yeah. where does that fit? And there's like a lot of pressure on the hit tool since right. he's not really hitting for a ton of power. Um, if there's one thing we know about the Mets, <laughs> it's that, uh, the hit tool has not always been the easiest thing for them. No. No. Which, rightfully so, it's very difficult to scout, but, you know. And, and then their other top guys, like Lewis looks totally borked, and Gratterall hasn't po- pitched in two months. So. Yeah. What are you asking for from the Twins, exactly? Mm-hmm. As like, um, a, a back, back end of the trade piece, I like Trevor Larnick a lot. Um. Yeah, sure. But he, he'd have to be like a third or a fourth dude. So. As I was prepping for this, this is a total aside, I kind of noticed I was having more fun looking at, like, potential third and fourth pieces than I was at headliners. It's just, it's depressing. Well, that's where the real value is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You pull a couple of, like, random dudes at the back end of a Yeah. Right. That's where you have real potential. At the major league level, they're kind of splitting time with him and Flowers, but the Mets could get Williams Astudio. (gasps) Ooh. Yes. All right. Change the mind. We're trading Syndergaard to the Twins right now. And they have a right Can I say he, in any in any MLB The Show franchise, that's like the first thing I do is trade for Astudio. <laughs> Good strategy. Makes me happy. And obviously his his brother's in the system, so maybe one day you'd be able to have like an Astudio, Astudio starter backup situation. Which oh wouldn't... God. It, it might be the first brother battery... Oh, not battery, but brother catching situation in baseball. I don't know. There have been batteries with brother and brother, but I can't think of any situations where you had two catches for both brothers, so that'd be were interesting. There, were the Molinas ever on a team together? I don't think so. 
Like, I don't think any of them ever played with Yadier, but maybe Benji and Jose were on the same team once. Were they on the, the Rays together? I don't know. I think they were both on the Rays. Maybe it was at the same time. I don't remember. That's the only, mm-hmm. like, other other possible time. It right, I mean, that that is the other catching family, so... Another guy in their system that I'd want just for the uh, headline potential is Johan Duran. <laughs> that'd be good for uh, – that'd make our life uh, coming up with right. report titles easy. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes you have to think like that. The, the Mets be damned. <laughs> All right. Um, lastly are the Yankees, and they're another team that I don't think they're a particularly good fit. Um, I don't really see anybody that has the kind of impact upside that you would want from a Thor trade. And he instantly becomes like their best pitcher. Yep. And, you know, the best thing I could see is you get, you know, a a group of kind of moderate to high – Upside guys, but with risk, and I wouldn't want that back for Noah Syndergaard. No. I mean, you like the best piece they have is Davy Garcia, who might be really, really good, but as we already mentioned, is five foot eight, and is he in advanced A or Bingham or, or double A right now? Like, uh, double A, I think. Double A, okay. But he's five eight. Yeah, I mean, short pitcher is not the best. And all their other interesting guys are low in the minors, so like. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's in triple A. He's in triple A. Alright, that makes yeah. it more interesting. Hasn't been good in three starts so far, but yeah, he's there. I mean, 5'9", 163 pounds, like, I'm not 5'9", but I am more than 163 pounds. Not, uh, it's not a good build for a starter. No. Like, I think the Yankees, and also the Rays probably, um, would be really good teams to trade Syndergaard to if you wanted to nuke the team. Yeah. And, Just get a ton of stuff back. Right. And, and, and like, if if you want to, like, nuke the team and trade everyone, they're good fits. But under the premise of, of trying to build a contender for next year, which seems like what the Mets want to do, it seems like what they should do, there's no fit with the Yankees. I don't. I don't see how you make a trade with the Yankees here. No. And Jason Dominguez, he looks like he's going to be a stud, but he literally has not played a single professional game yet. You know, he's he's yeah. 16. They just signed him. And you have a bunch of there's their catcher. Uh, what's his name? Siegler, who is another guy, two way player. Oh yeah, yeah, they're uh, catcher, the pitcher, Georgia, right? Yeah. There's another one, Josh Bro, Richard, or Brew, whatever. Either way, again, good headline name fodder. But no one, no one worth bringing, no one worth trading Noah Syndergaard. Maybe you'd want to get back Volpe just to be like, hey Jack, he's your best friend. Why don't uh-huh. you uh, come to our team next year? But, uh, yeah. Nothing great. It's, 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 the landscape for this trade, especially making it at the deadline, is just, is, is ugly. Mm-hmm. So I hope that that convinces the 
Mets brass to not make the trade at all. Hopefully there are people in... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Brody Van Wagenen's front office that are smarter than us, and they're looking at the same exact information that we're looking at even better, and they say to themselves, nothing fits. Let's just not do this. And hopefully Fred and Jeff listen. There's a lot of hopefullys in that, uh, yeah. in that sentence there. A lot of hopefullys. Not great. Sometimes huh? good things do happen. Maybe not a lot of times for us Mets fans, but you never know. It is the, what is it? It's the 50th anniversary of, you know, the 1969 World Series where things just kind of, good things happened out of nowhere. So maybe 50 years later, some of that karma comes back in the form of not trading Noah's in the road. That would be nice. <laughs> it's I'd not really it. asking very much. I'd take it. I'd take it, yeah. All right, well, we will be back after this, and we'll talk about uh, some guys from, just like those 1969 Mets, some some guys from yesteryear. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens. I'm Steve Saipa, joined by Lucas and Kenny, Lucas Flahos and Ken Levin, and now it's time for Oh Yeah, That Guy, where we take a look back and remember some Mets minor leaguers that we might have forgotten about. Now, does anyone want to go first? Uh Sure. Go ahead. Um, okay. So this week I chose Akil Morris, a uh, relief pitcher who from July 24th to July 28th, uh, 2014, pitching for the Savannah Samnats through two innings, didn't allow a hit, uh, didn't allow any base runners, and uh, struck out three. So that's a pretty good week. Um, My man, Akil. Yeah. yeah. He's uh, sort of a testament to... Good change-ups in the minors don't always translate well as you climb the organizational ladder. Um, but well, I guess we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, so Akil Morris was born in St. Thomas of the, the U.S. Virgin Islands and pitched for Charlotte Am- Amelie High School in St. Thomas. The Mets drafted him in the 10th round of the 2010 draft, uh, 302nd overall, and... Um, he was initially used as a starter, um, assigned and was assigned to the the GCL to start his pro career in 2010, and pitched pretty well there. Uh, he threw 24.2 innings of 2.19 ERA ball, and uh, struck out 28 against 17 walks. Um, the following year, they sent him to Kingsport. Again, he pitched um, relatively well as a starter, uh, starting 11 games and posting a 3.86 ERA. Um, again, striking out more hitters than innings pitched, um, although he did walk 38 batters in 51.1 innings, so that, that's pretty high. Um, and they sent him back to Kingsport for the 2012 season, and that's kind of where the wheels began to fall off for him as a starter. He still struck out a lot of dudes, but he walked a lot of dudes also, uh, 22 walks in 38.1 innings and posted a uh, 7.98 ERA. Um, and... They decided the next year in Brooklyn that um, while he did start three games, he kind of started the transition to the bullpen 
coming into 11 games in, in relief and posting a, a 1.00 ERA in 45 innings. Uh, again, walking a few too many guys, but also striking out a lot, uh, 60 Ks and 23 walks. Uh, and then they sent him to Savannah in 2014 and formally converted him into a reliever, and he just completely dominated the Sally League. Uh, yeah. Pitching in 41 games, posting a 0.63 ERA in 57 innings pitched, walking 22 and striking out 89, um, and allowed just four earned runs the entire season. So he, like, completely dominated the Sally. Um, and uh, that was kind of the start of Akil Morris, I guess as like um a prospect because uh the Mets sent him to St. Lucie in 20 to start 2015 and he similarly dominated throwing 32.0 innings and of course I don't have his ERA handy but it was it was pretty good <laughs> um <laughs> I I'm not going to look it up it's fine um he struck out 46 hitters in 32 innings and walked 14 before getting promoted to the majors for the first time from high A on June 15th um, and making his debut against the eventual AL East division winning Blue Jays a couple of days later. And yeah, things did not go well no. in that outing. Um, it was pretty clear that he wasn't ready. He threw uh, 0.2 innings, faced eight batters, allowed five runs on three hits, Walked three, no strikeouts, and uh, ended his season with a 67.50 ERA. Um, the good news was his FIP was much lower than that. It was 36.13. Um, All right, that works. Yeah. Uh, and got demoted. Um, instead of being sent back to high A immediately after, was sent to Binghamton, where he was also pretty good in his first taste of double A. He um, pitched in 23 games for the, the Rumble Ponies, or I guess the Mets at the time. Down the stretch, uh, posted a 2.54, a 2.45 ERA in 29.1 innings and, and, uh, struck out 35 against 15 walks to finish out the season. In 2016, he was sent back to Binghamton and things really didn't go well. Um, he posted a 4.62 ERA in 25.1 innings, uh, gave up 13 earned runs, walked 16 against 36 Ks, and, and posted a 1.40 home runs per night, which is uh, extremely not what you would want, before being traded to the Braves for Kelly Johnson, the, the second Kelly Johnson trade um, in early June. And uh, he kind of regained his form upon going back to the – or going to the Braves in uh, for AA Mississippi – he posted a 2.27 ERA in 35.2 innings uh, and struck out 50 against 21 walks and didn't allow a homer for the rest of the season. Um, so, so he kind of really put it together a little bit uh, after the after the trade. In 2017, he pitched well in the minors, but uh, split most of the season between Double A and Triple A, posting a. 2.65 ERA in 54.1 innings pitched. Um, and then again was promoted to the majors on July 6th and actually pitched pretty well for the Braves in 2017. He um, threw 7.1 innings, posted a 1.23 ERA, and struck out nine against four walks. So pretty good. Um, <clears throat> the Braves designated him 
him for assignment at the end of the season and traded him to the Angels. Um, so he was, <clears throat> sorry, that sounds like in my throat. Yeah, so they, they traded him to the Angels after DFAing him and, um, he really didn't pitch well for the Angels. He was on their big league team for spots between April and June, April and the end of June and posted a 5.79 ERA and 14 innings pitched, uh, giving up nine runs, walking eight and striking out only seven. And then really was bad in the PCL the following, you know, after being demoted. Uh, posting a 7.4, 7.04 ERA in 46 innings and, uh, again, striking out 28 or walking 28 and striking out 45. Uh, he elected free agency following the 2018 season and was picked up by the high point rockers of the Atlantic League. Um, he posted an ERA in the low fours, uh, for about 27.2 innings, was traded to the Southern Maryland Blue Club, Blue Crabs in early July, uh, before being flipped without pitching a game to the, the Crabs to the, uh, New Britain Bees where, you know, he's posted kind of a, a similar line to his time in the Angels organization, a 5.68 ERA and 12.2 innings. So, uh, ultimately Morris was a guy who relied on a very good changeup to get out, which is, you know, as we've discussed, a very difficult profile to project because changeups, you know, nobody in the, in the minors has seen like a really good changeup. So it's hard to tell if you're just, you know, throwing a pitch that's better than, you know, your competition has seen or, or if the pitch is legitimately like good. So, but we wish Shaquille well, um, things, you know, we hope he stays in ball and gets another shot and organized ball. And yeah. Yeah, I always liked him, but I, I always thought I was kind of rationalized, yeah, rationalized it that he got a, a late start to baseball from the Virgin Islands and everything that he would peak maybe a little bit later than everyone else. It just didn't exactly work out. I just remember getting super hyped for this is, I think, about the time when I started at AA or maybe I was like, Moving more into his staff role, I don't remember exactly, but being super hyped for Akil Morris and and Dario Dario Alvarez, Dario Alvarez was it Dar- that guy? Dario, 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 and then just getting shut down by all the prospect people, like yeah, no, they're not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh okay, it was de- definitely Jeff that shut you down because to oh, me Akil Morris is going to be like the next yeah, uh, who else? Be the next big thing. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like, cause everyone, like, I, I, as a scout, the stat line guy, I'm like, man, this guy's blowing people away. He's, he's next elite closer. Nah. Oh, well. Alright, well, who do you got for? Oh yeah, that guy. So, my guy is, uh, Toby Stoner, who, uh, uh, it'd be really appropriate if we had done a, a podcast sometime in April, but for now, I'll just do it in July. Mm-hmm. Um, so, over a three-game stretch, uh, or a three-start stretch from July 21st, 2008 to July 31st, 2008. This was in, uh, double-A at the time. Uh, he had 19 innings pitched, a 1.42 ERA and 13 strikeouts with, uh, uh, six walks somehow, but, but still the 1.42 ERA. So, an impressive run of it. For those of you who don't know who Toby Stoner is, he's a, uh, born in Germany, grew up in, in, uh, uh, the, the mid east coast area, uh, attended, uh, 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 college in Maryland, 
after going to uh, and then went, went to college in West Virginia. He was drafted uh, in the 16th round, pick 18 by the Mets in 2006. Uh, spent some time in the low minors, uh, bounced around a little bit. Uh, took probably a little bit too long for him to get to the majors, but uh, I guess the Mets have been moving college arms slow for forever. Um, made it in 2009 where he had four relief appearances over nine innings. Uh, four, ERA of four, a FIP of 5.87, so not great, but he did make it. Um, and then I got one more appearance in 2010 where he went 2.1 innings and then, uh, never made it back to the majors. He spent 2011 in, in high A and double A mostly, uh, and then got released at the start of 2012 and, and, uh, faded into the ether, never to be seen again. Has it been that long? Wow. Uh, I, I've got nothing on where he, uh, nothing on if he ever played again. I'd also never found like any retirement notice, so. He just was one of those guys who kind of drifted away. But he did make it, so he's got his souvenir balls and everything else. So good for Toby Stoner. Yeah. Well, this week, my oh yeah, that guy is Stefan Welch, who from July 21st to July 28th in 2011 hit 500, 536, 731 with two home runs. So Welch was born in Adelaide, Australia in 1988. He's the son of Darren Welch, who was a pitcher on the Australian Olympic team in 1988, and then um, was a pitcher for the Adelaide Giants in the Australian Baseball League in 1989. So Stefan was signed at age 16 uh, after he was scouted during a national tournament by Tony Harris, who just so happened to be a Mets scout and a coach for Australia's international baseball team in the late 90s and early 2000s. And back during that period, the Mets were kind of active in scouting alternate places to sign place to, to sign players from. You know, in the early to late 2000s, Australia was one of them. The Netherlands, Germany, where the aforementioned Toby Stoner was from. So Welch was one of a couple of Australian guys that the Mets signed during that time. And he graduated from school, came over to the U.S., and made his professional debut in 2007. He hit decently for the GCL Mets. He was promoted to Kingsport in 2018, and he hit decently there, too. And by the end of the season, he was promoted to the Sand Nets. Before the 2009 season started, he played for the Australian team in the 2009 World Baseball Classic, but plays kind of a loose term because he actually didn't get a single at-bat. He appeared in a game as, as a defensive replacement at third, so he did suit up, but he didn't actually uh, swing the bat once. But once the WBC was over, he was assigned to the Sand Nats for 2009. He spent about a month there. He didn't hit really all that well, but the Mets pushed him and promoted him to St. Lucie in the middle of the year. And to his credit, he did do well there. He hit a pretty solid 278, 350, 412 for them in 56 games. And then after the season ended, he represented Australia in the 2009 World Cup, the World Baseball Cup. So 2010 season, he returned to St. Lucie, and he spent the entire season there. He hit 256, 325, 395, and 133 games, which isn't really that great. But in the context of a 21-year-old, that that is still pretty raw as compared to his peers. It wasn't really that bad either. He went back to Australia that winter. He played for the Adelaide Bite in the newly revived Australian Baseball League. And then he came back to St. Lucie in 2011. And in his second full year there, and his third season there in total, he hit an improved 
271, 361, 438 in 129 games. And that winter, he became a free agent and elected to take that free agency. And the Pirates signed him. And he spent just a season and a half in their season, in their system before getting traded to the Red Sox in exchange for cash considerations in June 2013. And he finished the 2013 season in the Red Sox system and played for them in 2014. But he went unsigned as a minor league free agent that winter, and that effectively ended his baseball career in the U.S. He did keep playing in Australia, though. He only retired this past winter. And in the eight seasons that he was playing for the Adelaide Bite, he is a 250, 363, 413 hitter in a total of 284 games. And he has the club record for the most hits, 284, the most home runs, 35, and the most RBI, 169. So when the Mets initially signed him, he was, you know, pretty raw and experienced kid, but he was tall, athletic, had pretty decent swing for someone that didn't have much professional training. They liked it. They signed him. Uh, his swing was basically geared for contact. It had a little bit of gap power. And they basically figured, you know, he would, as he filled in and matured, he would hit for a little bit more power. And he was able to really maintain an okay average and okay power up the system as he went up the system. But he eventually had to become a first baseman primarily after starting out as like a first and third baseman. And he did just didn't have, like, the power to be a first baseman. And, you know, after he left the Mets system and got pushed to double-A in the Pirates and Red Sox system, the bat really got stretched, and he just kind of became a victim of that big A-ball to double-A ball jump. And that is the story of Sonwell. All right, well, do you guys have any uh, last words for the week? Besides for don't trade Noah Syndergaard? Stuff is happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, should we should we talk about that? I don't know. Briefly, what just happened. Um. So the Mets apparently are close to trading for uh, Marcus Stroman. Huh. And I Noah Syndergaard that... is apparently not part of it. Okay. That's probably not good. Yeah. I mean, if Sundergaard uh, isn't a part of it, I'm thrilled because there's nothing in this system I'm really hesitant to give up. So yeah, a name to the two names that we've heard so far are Simeon Woodruff and 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 uh, uh, that Anthony K isn't in it. And I'm hmm. like, if the headliner is Simeon Woodruff for Marcus Stroman, uh, where do I, I mean, sign? Yeah, no, that I would. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably okay with that. With what are, what's the likelihood of um, SWR being as good as Marcus Stroman? Zero. Pretty slim. Yeah, like we all think we all think he's a reliever, right? Yeah. <laughs> but maybe maybe we can so. maybe we can do an emergency pod or something if and when we hear of the full return. Yeah, maybe. I mean, when yeah, is the trade? it hasn't been a week yet. When is the trade deadline? Thursday. Uh, uh, this sounds like it's happening now, so we'll uh, we'll know pretty the, soon. The, the actual. Well, trade deadline is Wednesday, so. Alright, well, there's no podcast on, like, Friday. Maybe we'll do an emergency podcast if there's a whole bunch of, uh, minor league prospects being leagues, involved yeah. here. Alright, well, until then, if anyone has any questions or whatever, you can email us at from complex 
the Queens. Actually, why do we always say that? You can email us from <laughs> complexthequeens at gmail.com or you can follow us and talk to us on Twitter. I'm Steve at Steve Cypher. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. And Ken is at Ken Levin. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. Rate and review. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back maybe later this week, but definitely next Monday. And we'll talk about some, uh, probably a lot of interesting monthly developments. Until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.